blame Evan. As soon as the mic wasn't working, he's like, oh, I know, this is Evan's fault. And they were, you're right, it is. He did something to the mic in between services. We don't know what. We'll find out later, and he'll be punished. So we all have relationships where we are either the authority or we're under authority. That's just the way it goes. That's the way it is, right? And, and so the, the, the challenge is, is that any relationship where there's some sort of authority dynamic is a relationship that is just asking to be unhealthy, right? Like there's always the potential for there to be something unhealthy in that kind of a relationship. And so I wanted to start today just with a simple question, all right? Easy, simple question. Let me just ask this of all of you. How many of you, by show of hands, have ever had a bad boss? Raise your hand. All right, good. Now look around, look around. Unless you have an employee here, then don't look. Yep. Yeah, so like it's like almost every hand is up. Like almost everybody's going, yes, I've, I've been there, I've done that, I've had a bad boss boss. And so if that's you today, today is for you. This message is for you today who have had a bad boss, all right? Now, wherever you feel like you are in the food chain, right, whether you feel like you're at the bottom somewhere, whether you're in the middle, or maybe you feel like you're near the top, like you're almost the top, but you're not quite there. There is a principle in scripture that shows us how to rise to the next level. So no matter where you're at, there's this principle in Scripture that helps us get to the next level, to the next place. Now, in the same way, if you're at the top and you want to stay at the top, there is a principle in Scripture about how you stay at the top. And it's the same principle, which sounds great. You're like, whoa, let's learn the principle. Tell us the pr- that where we're going today, Kurt. That's where we're going. So you're excited. You're like, let's, let's learn that principle. But first, let me tell you, before we learn the principle, today is one of the hardest messages that I will preach. And the reason why is because even this principle that we're going to talk about today, even though it's so clearly in Scripture and it's modeled in the story that we're going to dive into today, it is modeled there, this is a principle that we often like to argue against. We don't really like this principle. In fact, the truth of the matter is, is some of you, even when we're done today, you're going to still try to argue against the principle. You're going to be like, nah, I think that was wrong. I think he got the story wrong, or that doesn't apply to me. You're going to try to make excuses. You're going to try to get out of it, because that's how much we don't love this principle. I'm just preparing you for it, all right? Like, like this message is for you today, but you might not like where it's going, all right? Like, that's what I want you to hear. Now, Before we go any further, I do feel like I needed to give a little caveat or an out, if you will. As we talk about bad bosses and bad workplaces, um, there's always the chance that you might be in a situation right now where your workplace or your boss is so toxic and so bad that the right thing for you, for your mental health, is to get out. And if that's you and that's where you're at today, like, I just want you to hear me say, like, then this message may not be for you. There's still truth that you can take from it. There's still things you can glean and you can learn. But sometimes there are times where you have to put up a boundary of health and say, for my sake, I need to be done, okay? But for the rest of us, today is very much for you. If you are in a place where maybe it's, it's like, like we've, all had, we've all had bad bosses, right? We saw all the hands. It's not like we're immune. So it's not like you have a bad boss and nobody else has to ever deal with that. In fact, I'll tell you right now, it's actually 
quite common for everyone to somewhat feel like, well, my boss is okay, <laughs> but could be better, therefore they're bad. Like, like, so, so if you at all have a kind of bad boss situation, but it's not that extreme, today's for you. Or maybe yours is extreme, but you're not in a place where you can leave or you can get out. Then today is absolutely for you. Today will absolutely help you with how do you process that and what do you do and what might be your next step. So with that, are you guys ready to talk about bad bosses? Yeah. All right. Here we go. One by one, we're going to name them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that would be weird. Uh, what I want to do to start is I want to start in the book of Proverbs, all right? We're going to start in the book of Proverbs, and before we even look at the scripture from Proverbs, it's important to understand that the book of Proverbs is not a book of promises. The book of Proverbs is not a book of promises. It's a book of proverbial sayings. It's a, it's a book of wise and pithy statements, which is just a fancy word to mean wise, so I don't know why I said it twice. It just makes me feel wise. And uh, of pithy statements that are generally true. In other words, when you hear a proverb, it's something that is generally true, but is not necessarily always true. Like, so let me give you an example just as we dive into Proverbs. Chapter 27, verse 18 is our first verse. And it simply says, the one who guards a fig tree will eat its fruit. Now, let's stop there for a moment. What this simply is saying is that if you take care of a fig tree, if you care for it, if you tend to it, if you water it, if you make sure it gets what it needs, then generally speaking you get to enjoy its fruit, right? That makes sense. Now, it's not like a promise because, well, what if it gets a disease? Like, well, then you might not, right? And so, like, it's, it's not a promise. It's a, it's a wise statement that is generally true. And that's what that is. If you take care of the fig tree, you're going to get to eat its fruit. In the same way, if you don't take care of the fig tree, if you don't tend to it, if you don't care for it, if you don't water it, it won't produce fruit. You won't get to enjoy the fruit. Sounds simple enough. But then let's read the second half of the verse. It says, and whoever protects their master their leader, their boss, will be honored. I told you you weren't going to like it. Whoever protects their boss will be honored. I want you to see what the author of Proverbs is doing here. Because the same principle applies in all situations, whether you're at the top, whether you're at the middle, or whether you're at the bottom. If you take care of or serve the one or the ones who are over you, it will be better for you than if you don't. Ugh. I won't make you raise your hand if you don't like that statement. I get it. I don't love it. I've been in the place with a bad boss. Talked a little bit last week about a review I got from a bad boss. The last thing I wanted to do was to go, oh, thanks for that horrendous review. Can I serve you? That's not what I wanted to do. Like this, it's not easy. But this is where we're headed. And I'm going to show you a story from Scripture that models this as well. Before we get there, though, let me just set something up a little bit. Let me ask another question. How many of you, by show of hands, have been or are bosses or supervisors? You oversee other people. Go ahead and raise your hands. How many of you? I didn't say bad ones, so just it's okay. You can. Some of you are like, wait, I don't. Okay, good. So several of you have overseen people. You've been a leader. You've had people underneath your authority where you've had to be. So I want you all to participate with me for a moment that raised your hands, all right? If you have an employee who's a really, really good employee, they're always on time, 
They get their stuff done. They do a great job. They make you look good because they do such a good job. They're always coming with ideas. They see problems before you even have to see them, and they already have a solution, and they get it fixed. They get it taken care of. If you've got an employee like that, are you looking for ways to fire them? No, right? That's exactly what, I mean, that's the employee you want, right? And let's say that that employee makes you look good and you've got a good team around you and you do such a good job as a team that your company comes to you and says, we want to promote you. And you get promoted to a new position, a new title, you're now higher up, right? And then your company says, you can bring a couple of people with you. Who are you going to look to bring? Are you going to look to bring the one who was the phenomenal employee that made you look good and, and served well and showed up on time? That's who you're going to look to bring, right? And if you bring them, does that likely lead to a promotion for them? Yeah, it does. And so, so here's the point. The secret to being pulled up to the next level at work and the secret, for those of you that are at the top, to, 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 to keeping everyone around you loyal and wanting to be for you is the same thing. The secret is to serve them. And it goes both ways. The secret is to serve, which means that whether you're a brand new employee on the bottom rung of the corporate ladder, or if you're in the middle, maybe you've been stuck there for years and you're in that middle management position, where you, anybody ever been in that middle management position? That is miserable, right? That is the spot where you have to listen to the higher ups and they tell you what to tell the lowers and you go, I've already talked to the lowers. They're going to tell you that that doesn't work. They can tell you exactly why it doesn't work. So you try to tell the uppers why it won't work, but they don't listen. And you're told, you know, you just go tell them what we told you to tell them. So then you have to go tell them what they told you to tell them. And they all go, well, that's not going to work. That's stupid. And you know that the answer is you're correct. That is stupid. But you can't tell them that's stupid because then you look bad to the uppers because you have to agree with them. And so you look at them and you go, no, you still got to try. Please do. Please, please, please. And it's just annoying, right? Like, if you've ever been in middle management, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's one of the hardest places to be. So whether you're a brand-new employee and you're at the bottom of the rung, whether you're in the middle and you feel stuck in middle of management, or whether you're at the top, and maybe not just near the top, but maybe you're the CEO, maybe you're the, the owner, you are the boss of all bosses, but you're in charge, it still remains true for all of us. Serving will pull you up, and serving will help keep you at the top, even as it pulls everyone else up. And the story we're going to look at today is going to clearly show us that. The story we're going to look at today is from the Old Testament. Uh, it's one of my favorite stories. I think I say that every time, but I guess I like them all. But it's a really good story in the Old Testament. It's a story about a guy who had probably the worst boss ever. Not only did he have the worst boss, but he actually worked for the worst company, or in this case, country, that may have existed in all of Scripture. And so what I want to try to do for us today is to answer the question, what do I do or what do we do when we have a bad boss or work for a bad company or both? So with that, let's jump in to the book of Daniel. Now I'm going to do a lot of highlighting, a lot of summarizing. We're going to start in chapter 1. We'll make our way through most of chapter 1, a chunk of chapter 2. We're going to finish up in chapter 4 to finish our story for today. But right now let's dive into Daniel chapter 1. Verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And then verse 2. And the Lord delivered. Stop there for just a minute. This is key. And the Lord delivered. 
Don't miss this. Sometimes, and again, you won't like this, but sometimes the place where you are, the place that you work, sometimes the thing that you hate the most and you don't really want to be there and that's not where you want to work, sometimes the Lord has delivered you there. Sometimes the Lord has put you where he has you for a reason. In the beginning of the story of Daniel, what we see is the Lord delivered them. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, into the hand of Babylon, into the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar. They're getting turned over. They're they're losing the battle, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. Now, what this passage is saying is incredibly important. We've got this wicked, wicked place called Babylon. How wicked is Babylon? Well, in the book of Revelation, in Revelation uh, chapter 18, uh, Jesus returns, and when Jesus returns, Revelation 18 tells us that the angels cried out. And the angels, what they cried out when Jesus returned is, fallen, fallen is Babylon. Now, why in the world would the angels say, fallen, fallen is Babylon when Jesus returned? Especially because Babylon didn't exist anymore. When John had this vision, when he saw this, it was writing, this Babylon was no more. It was, it was gone. So why would the angels say, fallen, fallen is Babylon? The reason why is because in heaven, the personification of the worst of the worst, of the evilest of all evil, is Babylon. The angels were saying, evil is defeated. When Jesus returns, they're going, evil is defeated. It is done. It is finished. Evil has fallen. Evil has lost. And the way they say that is by saying Babylon has fallen. Babylon in heaven represented evil evil. That's how bad the nation of Babylon was. This is the nation that is going to take over Daniel, that's going to take him captive and, and make him follow their instructions. That's how bad this, this, this country is. So you've got this horribly wicked country led by a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. He's egotistical. He's cruel. He worships a demonic God. He makes fun of the one true God. And he decides to attack Judah and Jerusalem. He besieges the city, which means basically he holds it captive and nobody can get in or out. He does this until they run out of food and water. That way there's less loss of life. It's simpler and easier for them. And eventually then they just have to give up. And so King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he takes them over and he raids their city. He also raids the temple of God there, and he takes a bunch of their holy articles, a bunch of their holy articles of faith, and he puts them into the treasure house of his own God. He takes them back to Babylon and puts them basically into his God's church in kind of a storage area. And the reason why he does this is he would do this into every place that they would overtake. And Babylon was, they were the most powerful nation at this time. And every time they take over a city, they would go in and they would especially grab any of their religious artifacts and take them back to Babylon and put them in the house of their God. And the reason he did this was he wanted it to be a sign. My God is better than your God. My God is bigger than your God. You know how I know that? Because your God's stuff is in my God's library. That's how I know. And so he did this as a sign of his power and his authority. But again, here's the key. Don't forget. He was able to do this because why? Because the Lord delivered all of this over to. Don't forget this. We go through the story today. Keep that in mind. The Lord delivered all of this over to him, which is interesting. It's the worst leader, the most corrupt country, and God gives him a short season of success and power. Hmm. 
the worst leader, the most corrupt country, and God delivers Jerusalem and Judah to them, and God gives them success and power for a short season. Just as an aside, church, can I just, can I tell you something? Can we get political for a moment? Yeah, you guys are like, I don't know. We're going to get political for a moment in a good way, I think. I vote in every single election. I'm a firm believer of if you don't vote, you don't get a voice. And so I vote every single time. Now, I don't care who's president. I don't care. Some of you are like, what? Oh, I have an opinion. I have, I have strong opinions. And trust me, half of you would disagree. It's a matter of which half, and it could change every four years. <laughs> I have an opinion, but it doesn't matter to me because I know who's in charge. See, see, this is why I don't care. So, so, so I care, and I think about it, and I, I try to pay attention, and I try to know, and I try to understand. But when the votes come and the election is finished, it does not matter to me because I know who sits on the throne that matters, and it is not the president of the United States. And here I look at Scripture, and I go, well, shoot, if he's willing to let Babylon for some reason, and we don't know the reason, he doesn't tell us, but the most evil leader in country to be in charge for a season, and he's got his reasons, I go, well, then I don't always understand. I don't always get it, and I don't have to. Some of you, some of you, if I can be honest, you put so much in to politics, and I don't mean, I don't mean that, that we, we, we don't care or we don't work for it, but you, like, it's, it's like your being and existence rests on whether or not your person wins, and when and if they don't, it's almost like you have forgotten who actually sits on the throne. And so, like, I just want to challenge us to keep this in mind as we go into this election season. I'm not going to stand up here. Don't worry. I'm not, I don't stand up here, and I don't ever tell you who to vote for. I won't tell you how to vote. But I will remind you that God sits on the throne, and that matters more than who sits in the Oval Office. And I think we need to keep that in mind. Okay. Back to verse 3. So all of this, God delivered them. God did that, allowed this to happen. So next in verse 3, it says, hmm, I guess I could have finished verse 2. We'll go back. Okay. These he carried off to the temple of his God. I did that. I just didn't read it. That's the problem. I have ADD. Okay. Verse 3. Then it's undiagnosed, though. My parents wouldn't let me get medicine. They, they would, they, so, anyways. It is so fun when your parents are in church and everybody knows. They sit in the front down here, and then you all look at them, and I just find that humorous. Oh, okay. That's also because of my ADD. Here we go. Verse 3. All right. I mean, that wasn't in the notes. I just did that. that was, then the king, oh, I got to stop. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. End of this group that is taken is Daniel. It is the best of the best, the cream of the crop. And they are taken to be taught 
what the Babylonians believe, what the Babylonians do, how they operate, who they are, what their language is, what their literature is. Well, well, do you know what that was at the time for the Babylonians? It was astrology and the occult. Astrology and the occult. And so for three years, the cream of the crop, the best of the best from Jerusalem, Daniel included, are taught dark magic and astrology and occult practices of Babylon. And then Daniel's assignment from God, because remember, the Lord delivered him there. The Lord put them there. So Daniel's assignment from God only gets harder because King Nebuchadnezzar wants to get rid of their faith, wants to remove it, and so he decides to change their names. And so Daniel's name, that used to mean God is my judge, so every time he's called by his name, he's reminded who his God is and where his trust and his faith goes. His name gets changed from God is my judge to Belteshazzar, which means may Bel protect you. Bel being one of the demonic Babylonian gods. And so they change Daniel's name from one that honors God to one that honors Satan. So let me summarize what's happened so far. You've got Daniel being captured and taken captive. You've got God being mocked. Daniel just told that you're going to study the occult for three years. We're going to change your name to honor Satan. And when you're done with all of this, then you will enter into the royal court and you will serve King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, that sounds like a pretty bad job with a pretty bad boss, doesn't it? Like, that doesn't sound like a job. Like, you're looking, you're pulling up your monster app. Is monster still around? Is that still a job thing? I don't even know. Indeed app. Is that LinkedIn? You can get jobs through LinkedIn. Interesting. Yeah, I first service, I was like, so you look in the newspaper, and people looked at me, and I was like, oh, forget how old I am sometimes. My bad. So this time I was like, app, and then I was like, wait, is Monster still an app? Okay, so you look in the app, and you see a job description like that, you know, will mock your faith, make fun of your God, require you to change your faith and who you are, ask you to do things that you shouldn't do, study the occult. Who's in? <laughs> like, none of us are like, that's the job I want. I've been looking for that. Like, no, nobody's going to apply for that job. It's literally the definition of a bad job with a bad boss. So what will Daniel do? Verse 8 then. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. So this is because it wasn't kosher. For some reason, Daniel and God decided this was the line that they were drawing, and he wasn't going to defile himself with the food and with the wine. And so he's like, I'm not going to do that. And so then I love this. He asked the chief official for what? permission. Listen, listen, listen. If you take notes, circle, highlight, underline that, write that down. If you've got your Bible, write right into it. I write right into my scripture all the time. This is important. Daniel asked for permission not to defile himself in this way. I I just am blown away by Daniel. And and so he asked for permission, and the direct supervisor's response back to him is he basically says to him, Daniel, I can't do that. He says, listen, Daniel, if, if you in any way, shape, or form look weak, and if I don't have you eating, I think you're going to look weak. If you look weak at all, when King Nebi, that's what I think they called him back then. It's, it's, not, it's not in scripture, but like whenever I had bad bosses, we always gave them nicknames. And I think this was the nickname they had for, for King Nebuchadnezzar. I think they called him King Nebi. Just sounds right, Okay. So, but don't go looking for it. It's not there. That's just, that's just the book of Kirk. That's just me throwing that out there. But I think the guard said, I, I, listen, Daniel, King Nebi will literally have my head if you look weak. Can't do it. And so he tells Daniel, no, 
can't happen. Well, Daniel doesn't stop there. He doesn't want to defile himself with eating the food that's not kosher. And so Daniel tries another uh, tact. He tries something else. And so in verse 11, it says, Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he says, and I love this, circle, highlight, underline this, please test your servants. <laughs> I love it. What's he say? Please. Can you tell your kids? It's in Scripture. You have to say please and thank you. We'll find thank you somewhere, but please is definitely there. I love it. Like, he's held captive. He's been besieged by them. He doesn't want to eat their food. And he's like, hey, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And what's interesting here is the guard agrees. The guard goes, okay, let's try this out for 10 days. And after 10 days, Daniel and his buddies look stronger and in better shape and in better health than everybody else. And so he basically goes, fine, you want to go vegan? You can go vegan for the rest of the time you're here. Now, here's what I want you to see. There's a difference in attitude with Daniel. He finds himself in a situation with a boss who is mocking God, a boss who is not favorable for anyone who follows God. In fact, this boss wants to force him to change his faith. He's making him study the occult. He's changing their names. And what does Daniel do? Daniel doesn't get all huffy about it. He doesn't stand up and tell the king off. He doesn't proclaim you're dishonoring God and how dare you and I won't let you. He doesn't do that. That might be what we'd expect Daniel to do. That might even be what we, 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 some of us might even read this and go, well, you know what, that's what Daniel should do. Daniel should, he should be brave enough to stand up. In fact, the next time that they have a meal time, I think what Daniel should do is he should pound on the table. Everybody listen up. I know what they're doing here. All right, they're trying to get us to eat not kosher food. We won't do it. Won't let them do it. They're going to try to change our faith. They're going to try to change who we are. Guards, you listening, listen, I want you to know something. I won't stand for it. I won't let you. You don't know who I am. I am Daniel, son of the most high God, and my God is bigger than your God. Take that. That's not what he does. That would make a great movie scene, though, though, wouldn't it? Right? They're all sitting there at the meal, and all of a sudden Daniel's pounding and yelling. He gets them all riled up, and all of the Jews have just been taken captive. They begin to applaud and clap, and Daniel finishes with, and my God is bigger than your God. And then an arrow goes right through his head. That's how I, that's how I picture it, because that's what would have happened if he had done it that way. They'd have been like, somebody shut him up. We're not putting up with this. They, they told us they got the brightest and the smartest. This guy is stupid. Like, doesn't he know what killed him for this? And so Daniel doesn't respond that way. What does Daniel do? I love it. He asks for permission. And when that doesn't work, he says, please. And then he offers to be tested. He offers a way that this might be able to work. He offers his boss's respect every step of the way. In fact, you can read through the book of Daniel and you will not see a trace of lack of respect from Daniel to his bosses. Bad boss or not, there isn't a trace of arrogance in any statement or any interaction that Daniel has with any of his supervisors. Despite the damnableness of Nebuchadnezzar and the wickedness of Babylon, Daniel still remains incredibly kind and respectful to his bad boss. Verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. 
Now, important here, who gave them the wisdom and understanding? God did. Keep that in mind as we understand what is taking place and what is happening. God gave them the wisdom and the understanding. Do you realize what this means? For three years, Daniel is studying the occult, and God gives him wisdom and understanding so he can ace his test in the occult. Now, there's a distinction here that I want to make. Daniel is not practicing the occult. He's not sinning and participating and doing it and being a part of it. But he is learning and understanding the occult. In fact, God gave him the wisdom to understand it. And the reason this is so important is that most of us tend to run from situations like this. Most of us would would have said, well, I'm not going to study their books. I'm not going to study their faith. I'm not going to study their knowledge. I'm not going to understand them. I don't want to risk that. I can't do that. They can't ask me to. That's evil. But Daniel actually earns the right to later on in Scripture speak truth into situation after situation after situation. He earns the privilege to present God into situation after situation after situation. Why? Because he had excelled in the study of their book rather than run from it. Let me give you an example of this from modern day in in my own life. So I've got a situation like this uh, that I've had to decide how I was going to handle. Uh, I've got a couple of friends that uh, are my ones. If you've been here at Faith Church very long, you've heard us talk about who's your one. Our belief as a church is that every single one of us who proclaim the name of Jesus should have at least one person in our life that we're saying, I'm trying to win them to Jesus. I'm praying for them. I'm loving on them. They get to interrupt my life. They get, they get to... to, to to create stress, and there's other people in my life that I go, that's too much stress, and I put up a boundary, and I'm like, nope. But if it's my one, I'm like, ooh, your stress is my stress now because I want to show you the love of Jesus. I want you to know Jesus. I want to present Jesus to you. Every one of us should have at least one, if not maybe even sometimes more than one person in our life who we are intentionally trying to be like Jesus, to love like Jesus, so that we might show them Jesus and one day earn the privilege and right to tell them about Jesus. And that's my hope. One of my ones, one of my friends is of a completely different faith and background. So what, what do you think that means for me? That means that I'm working my best to become an expert at his faith, to understand it, to know it, because I want to understand and know all of the barriers that are in between him and knowing Jesus. And so if I love him and want him to know Jesus, this is what I must do. That's what Daniel was doing. Next, verses 18 through 21. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. They were the quad valedictorians. <laughs> they were the best of the best at understanding, studying, and knowing the occult practices of Babylon. And God gave them the wisdom. Think about that. You're going to see it play out about why it's so important that Daniel did that and followed God's leading. Now, the next thing that happens actually takes place in chapter 2 of Daniel. And in chapter 2, King Nebi has this bizarre, weird dream. 
and the dream scares him. It scares him. And so he gathers together all of his enchanters, all of his sorcerers, all of his magicians, and he brings them together, and he tells them, I've had a dream, and it scared me to death. And he said, I need you guys to interpret my dream. And they all go, no problem. Tell us your dream. Now, what's interesting about this group that he brought together is you just read, we just read that Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, they, they were brought into that group as well. They're now a part of that. But when the king brings everyone together, he leaves those four out. For some reason, he does not invite them. So they don't get invited. Everybody else does. And he says, tell me what my dream means. And they say, sweet, we can do that. Tell us what your dream is. And he goes, nah, I'm not going to do that. And they go, what? And he says, how do I know that your interpretation is not just what you're making up or just trying to tell me what you think I want to hear? He goes, the only way that I'll know that your interpretation is true and real and from our gods is if you can tell me what I dreamed and then tell me the interpretation. And all of his magicians and all of his sorcerers, they all go, no one can do that. <laughs> they all go, King, no one has ever asked that. In fact, I love one of the things they say. They go, they go only the gods can do that, and gods don't dwell among men. <laughs> Little did they know. <laughs> but they're like, that's impossible. You're not, they, they, they literally tell them, you've given us a job to do, and then you're not giving us the tools to do the job. Any of you guys ever had a boss like that? Oh, man, isn't that the worst? When your boss says, here's the job I want you to do, but then they don't train you how to do it? Or they don't give you the tools that you need to be successful. <laughs> like, that's the, like, this is the definition of a bad boss. Nebuchadnezzar is a terrible boss. He's not giving the tools they need. And so, now here's the crazy thing. When you have a bad boss who doesn't give you the tools that you need to do the job they've hired you to do, and then when you fail or it doesn't go well, it doesn't go right, what do they do? They fire you or they demote you. <laughs> King Nebuchadnezzar, he tells them, if you guys can't do this, I'll kill you. So it could be worse. It could be worse. Like, like if not take that home today, like, you know, it could be worse. It's not Nebuchadnezzar wanting to kill me. So what happens? Daniel chapter 2, verse 14. It says, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with what? Wisdom intact. I love what Daniel's doing. Now, here's why this is even more important. What you don't understand that has just taken place is that um, the king's guard has gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon. Who does that include? Daniel. So Daniel and his buddies, they weren't there when the king said, interpret this dream, and if you can't, you're killed. But they have now been rounded up and included in the people that are about to be killed. They're included in that group. And he still spoke to him with wisdom intact. <laughs> his life's on the line. He asked the king's officer. He doesn't even know what's going on. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? He knows they're being taken to death, but he doesn't know why. Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went to the king and asked for time so he might interpret the dream for him. Did he go to the king and tell him, this is a horrible mess? You're a terrible leader? How dare you? Is that what he did? No. He went to them and he asked for time so he might interpret his dream. Now, he asked for time because even though he hadn't been there with the king before, he feels like, you know what? I think with God's help, I think we can figure this out. I think I can find a solution. I love what he does to the king. He asked for time so that he might interpret the dream. He says, look, king, I see that you got a problem. I think I have a solution for your problem. Would you be willing to give me the time <clears throat> to fix this problem for you? 
Church, can I just tell you something? That's exactly what every boss, good or bad, wants. Man, when an employee comes to you and says, I see a problem that's coming up. I think I know how to fix it. Would you allow me to fix that for you? Every boss is going, yes, thank you. Like, that'll get you promoted. Like, this is phenomenal what Daniel is doing. Now, the next part of the story is that Daniel returns back to his three buddies. And he tells them, he says, you guys, you better pray. <laughs> he says, you better pray like you have never prayed before. We need to pray. Church, can I just tell you something? Guys, be honest. If you're in a situation right now with a bad boss or a bad company in a bad situation and you're not praying, then I don't know if you know how bad it is or isn't. I don't know if you're really trying yet. If you're not praying, if, you, if you're not going to your life group and asking them to pray with you, if you're not going to a Christian brother or a Christian sister and saying, hey, can we get together? Can we talk? I've got something I need you to pray for me for. If, if, you're, if you're not doing that, like I'd ask why. If you're not doing that, then I would ask, like, like, do you believe that God sits on the throne? Do you believe that God is in charge? Do you believe that he loves you and sees you? Because why would you not go to him with the significant thing in your life and say, God, would you help? God, would you speak into this? God, would you give me patience? Would you? Why would we not? Church, if you're in that kind of a situation, I'd beg you and plead of you to be praying and allow some of us to come alongside of you and to pray with you and for you. Daniel goes to his three buddies and he says, we've got to begin to pray. And so they hold a prayer meeting like they've never held before. And as they're praying, God begins to, or Daniel begins to sense the voice of God. And he begins to see some things. And as they're praying, Daniel sees the dream the king had. God shows him the dream and then God shows him the interpretation. And so Daniel goes to the king and he says, I, I know your dream and I know the interpretation. And the king goes, no, nah, you don't. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> and Daniel says, let me tell you. And Daniel sits down with the king, and he tells him his dream exactly. And then he tells him what it means. And the king is blown away by this. And so do you know what he does to Daniel? He promotes him. <laughs> Instead of killing him, Daniel gets promoted. Now, let me tell you something. The human side of me that tries to, like, put myself into Daniel's shoes, the human side of me that tries to imagine what it's like to be Daniel and to have experienced this the way he, he did, the, the human side of me that's had bad bosses and hoped that those bad bosses would get fired because they deserve to be fired. I mean, everybody else who works for them knows that. That human side of me that watches this goes, ooh, good, God showed up. Now we can get rid of the bad boss. Now we can get rid of King Nebi. Finally. <laughs> And do you know what Daniel's reward is from God? God says, great job. Do it again. Great job. Keep going. I delivered you to this spot for a reason and for a purpose. Eventually, King Nebuchadnezzar dies. And I go, whew, finally, Daniel's probably like, I get to retire, right? I get to be done. I don't have to keep serving these bad bosses. And God goes, yeah, we got another really corrupt king coming in, Daniel. I'm going to need you to suit up again. <laughs> and back at it he goes. Sometimes God has you where he has you for a reason and a purpose. In a minute, I'm going to show you exactly what Daniel's reason and purpose was. But first, let's jump to the so what. What does this mean? What do we do with it? How do we, how do we take this and make it practical? All right, I got a bad boss 
What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to operate, Kirk? How do I love Jesus while dealing with the fact that I've got a bad boss and I'm in a bad situation and I work for a bad company? Well, if you have a bad boss, I will tell you that Daniel modeled the answer of what you should do for you. If you have a bad boss, you should serve them. We talked about it early on. I said you weren't going to like it. Daniel just modeled it for us. But if you have a bad boss, you should serve them. Because listen, listen, think about the alternative. If, if you have a bad boss and you're like, you know what? Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell everyone how bad they are. I'm going to make them look. In fact, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to mess up our next project. I'm going to match their ineptness with my ineptness. Watch this. <laughs> and, and if you try to do that so that the company will see how bad they are, and then eventually, let's say that they do. Let's say they realize how bad of a boss they are. They're like, oh, my word, look at this department. They just failed miserably. Fire the boss. Do you know what also happens? A lot of times they fire who else? The team. And you just made yourself look bad to try to make them look bad. And when that happens, is this when they do an inside hire? No, they don't hire from. They're not like, hey, let's promote the schmuck that matched his ineptness. Like, no, they're going to do an outside hire because that's what has to happen in that situation. So you trying to make that boss look bad or you trying to become the tattletale who I'm going to go tell and I'm going to go let them, that person is not the person that ever gets promoted and brought up. So what in the world am I supposed to do? You serve them. You look for problems and try to see them ahead of time. You try to be the best employee you can be. When you see a problem that you can fix, you go to your boss and you offer to try to fix it. Well, they're a really bad boss. They won't let me. Okay. But you keep doing it over and over again. You serve them. You do your best to make them as look as good as you possibly can make them look. Some of you are like, why would I do that? Because the only way to sometimes get out from under a bad boss is for them to get promoted out. Or for them to think they're so good that when they get offered that job with more pay at another place, they take it and they go, and now you're out from under them. Let me, let me give you a physical representation of this spiritual reality that Daniel has modeled for us. There's a, uh, there's a saying around lakes and oceans that says, uh, let me just make sure I say it right. It says, a rising tide lifts all boats. A rising tide lifts all boats. That makes sense. If you're in the water, there's a rising tide. All boats get lifted. Let's use that for a moment. So let's say that um, this is you. You're a rubber ducky. Congratulations. You've come so far. <laughs> but this is you, and uh, the water represents where you work. This is your workspace. This is your job this is what you do. And when you do a good job, when you do what you're supposed to do, when you perform well, that's like adding water, and you begin to rise higher and higher. And then you do another good job, and you do well, and you get to go higher and higher, and you continue to rise. And that's great, and that's simple, and boy, that sounds really, really nice. But are you the only one who works at your place of work? Usually not. Sometimes you are. And then if you have a bad boss, that's on you because you're your own boss. And I don't know how to help you with that. But I can point you in the direction of a therapist that I know. That's So most of us have to work with other people, right? So in the water of our workplace are coworkers, you know. So there's one of them and there's another one. And then there's the intern, right? You got to show the intern what to do. You care about the intern. You like the intern. You try to be nice to the intern, but the intern doesn't know anything. And so they don't even know how to swim. They turn sideways. But you're all there at work, right? 
And then there's one more person I haven't said yet. There's your boss. And your boss is an idiot, so they wear, you know, goggles to church or to church to to work. You don't have a bad boss at church. Evan tried to get me to say that. So, but here's your boss, your bad boss. And so they're in there and they're in the water too. And they're clearly a bad boss. They don't know how to swim. In fact, they can only swim because all of the employees are holding them up. That's the only, that's how bad of a boss they are. And so, now, now here's, here's what I'm telling you, okay? If you go into this and you just go, I'm just going to badmouth this boss and make them look bad. Who looks bad? You look bad. If you go in and you decide to fail and you're going to mess up every project so they will see how bad the boss looks, who looks bad? You do. Instead, really, the only option you have is to do your job, to do it well, and to make them look good. The problem is, when you do that, all boats rise, or all ducks rise. Oops, you're upside down. Let's fix that. There you go. And so even as you keep doing your good job, and a good job, and a good job, over and over and over again, it doesn't just raise yours, it raises everybody else's. And this is hard for us, because we don't like that. Well, they should get their just dessert. They... But they're bad, but they doesn't matter. This it's often exactly this that will get you out of having that bad boss. Now, there's one more really important reason, insight here in the scripture that we need to see and need to understand. So to understand for why, even when you have a bad boss, it's better for you to serve. It's better for you to give better ideas and good solutions that you bring to the table, no matter how bad your boss is. Look at what Daniel did. Daniel did that over and over and over and over again. And the more he did that, the more influential he became. Here's why that's important. On two more occasions that we know of, King Nebuchadnezzar will put Daniel and his friends' lives on the line. (laughs) proving that he's one of the worst bosses of all time. He will again test their God over and over and over again. And in fact, he will go so far as to declare himself God, and he will demand that everyone bow down to him. And Daniel and his buddies have to figure out, how do you walk humbly in that? How do you still serve God, but also help this really, really bad boss in this really, really corrupt country? And they do it in an incredible way over and over and over again. And because they do, and because they've learned how Babylon works and what their cult is and what their practices are. They've become the wisest people in the kingdom and they serve the king and they help the king over and over and over again. And what begins to happen is that they become so invaluable to the king that they become incredibly influential. In fact, this is one of the keys. If you want to become influential, you have to become invaluable. If you want to become influential in your place of work, you have to become invaluable So in other words, you can't go about trying to make your boss look bad. That doesn't work. Daniel and his friends became invaluable to their bad boss. And because of that, they became incredibly influential. And in Daniel chapter 4, I love this. In Daniel chapter 4, just before King Nebuchadnezzar dies, so it took all of his life for this to happen, Daniel and his four buddies have spent most of their life here in captivity, serving this bad boss. And just before that bad boss dies, he seems to make a profession of faith. Let me show you. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven. 
because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. I believe that God had Daniel there for exactly this reason. So that he would be influential to King Nebuchadnezzar. Church, I don't know who it is that maybe God has you at your place of work for. I don't know their name and I don't know who they are. My guess is if you spend some time in prayer, you might know exactly who it is. You might know exactly who they are. But I believe that God may have you exactly where he has you for right now for such a time, for such a person. And it may not be King Nebuchadnezzar of that kind of an evil person that you lead to Jesus, but I know he's got you where he's got you for a reason. And the more influential or the more invaluable you become, then the more influential you become. And the more influential that you become, the greater impact you can make for Jesus. And isn't that exactly what we're called to do? To make an impact for Jesus in his name that we might see more people come to know Jesus is their Lord and Savior. That's our call. That's what we're to do. That's why, as Christ followers, our answer when we have a bad boss and a bad, a bad company is we serve in the name of Jesus. Church, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, sometimes there are answers that you give us in Scripture to questions that we don't like. <laughs> And we don't like how you answer, and we don't like what you ask of us and what you tell us. And my fear today, Lord, is that this might be one of those days for some of us. That we might even be sitting here and still arguing and going, yeah, 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 but you don't know my boss, but you don't know my situation, but you don't know. And the reality is, Lord, like, we need to serve. If it's what you asked us to do, it's what you've modeled for us. You showed us in Scripture. You gave us an example. And so, God, I just pray right now that each and every one of us that goes from here, that we would be able to model this. Give us the strength to serve. Lord, I know I know. in my situations, when I had bad bosses, the last thing I wanted to do was serve them. The last thing I wanted to do was help them. The only way that I was able to even be remotely Christ-like around them is because of you and the power you gave me to do it. And so, God, I pray for every one of us. Help us to serve those around us. Help us to minister to them. Help us to maybe even see, is this why I'm here? Lord, have you called me to help this person? Is this what you want from me? Is this how I serve? And so, Lord, help us to be aware, to have your eyes, to see who you might be calling us to minister to in your name. God, give us the strength. Give us the will. And give us the power. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.